You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into Fireside Chats. This is episode 14, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. More importantly, follow the feed at BGN underscore radio. I understand it's the start of a new season, and if the numbers I'm seeing are any indication, we have some new listeners joining us as we ramp up towards the 2019 NFL season. So I'll just give a brief explanation of what this series of shows entails. Fireside Chats was created as a place where I could have semi-regular discussions with the leading minds, not only in football, but with those that cover it as well. I've talked with former scouts, analytic gurus, longtime NFL players, film heads, and so on. And with the release of the Football Outsiders 2019 Football Almanac, which is a must-buy, by the way, I figured why not speak with the man who wrote the chapter for the Eagles. That man just happens to be a friend that I've had the pleasure of sharing drinks with while we were in town for the Senior Bowl in Mobile. So he's got a great mind for the game, and his name is Derek Klassen, and he's going to cover some of what was written in the Almanac about the Eagles, which looks not only to the past, but to the future as well. And I'll get Klassen's opinion on how he sees the Eagles faring in 2019. The training camp resumes today, so keep an eye out for more updates and recordings on that by subscribing to BGN and also visiting BleedingGreenNation.com. And speaking of updates, in case you missed it, the Eagles have signed longtime Dallas Cowboy cornerback Orlando Skandrick to a contract, which was likely a response to Cravon LeBlanc's health. And an update on LeBlanc, what we're seeing right now is that he has a mid-foot sprain. So some context on that. What I've seen is that it has a four to eight week recovery timetable. However, the Eagles should be cautious with his return as that specific injury carries a high risk of re-aggravating when cutting and pivoting. Now, here's the part where I become part reporter and part conspiracy theorist. In late October, Jalen Mills was reported to have a foot sprain. We heard the same timetable for recovery. He was also spotted in a boot, just like LeBlanc, and he's starting the season on PUP several months later. Does that mean the same thing is going to happen to straps? Not at all. Is it the exact same injury? I'm not a doctor, so I couldn't tell you. But I will say it casts some doubt, at least for me personally, on the reported expectations that straps will be available week one. That's all I'm saying. We'll see how it plays out, and of course, we'll keep you updated whenever we get new information as well. But back to the matter at hand, let's talk with Football Outsiders right now. Derek. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great today, man. How are you? I'm doing really well. Hey, let the gentle listeners know where they can find you on social media, where they can find all your work before we get started here. Right. So you guys can follow me at QB Class on Twitter, QBKLASS. You can find most of my work at Football Outsiders. I write for them during the season. And then we just came out with our almanac. And I mean, we're about to get into all that, but I wrote the NFC North and the Eagles chapter. So 
plenty of my work to go around this offseason if you're looking for it. Yeah, and you're doing film room articles for Football Outsiders as well. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. And I did, uh, I did like their draft profiles during the draft season as well. Oh, nice. Hey, personal question before we get into the nitty gritty here. Are you going to be in Mobile this year? I need to party with my boy. Uh, the plan is to do the draft cycle again. That is the plan. So okay. good chances I'll be there again. Yes. Fantastic. And if you're there, you're coming to Veets, right? Oh, man. I mean, why even go to Mobile if you're not going to go to Veets? Like, yeah. I mean, you have to. That's the correct answer. Okay. So this is your second year writing the team chapters for Football Outsiders. You do film room work for them, so you know your stuff. Look, seeing as you wrote that Eagles chapter for Football Outsiders, let's talk about it. And let's start with the offense. And we'll just go like a broad, general view here. What did you observe from the Eagles schematically and philosophically throughout the season? Uh, I think the biggest thing is that for like a number of reasons, the offense kind of got the reins pulled back on it. Like we saw in 2017, they were an incredibly explosive offense. Like they were insane on third downs. They were able to generate a ton of explosive plays. Like Carson Wentz was absolutely nuts outside the pocket. So it was a... It was still a fairly consistent offense because they had a lot of talent, but they were really an offense that was like banking on big plays a lot. Um, and then I think you look at 2018 and they actually did a lot better job of finding a, a consistent way to like keep the chains moving and, and kind of play the quick game a little bit better. I thought Carson Wentz in particular like did such a good job of developing his sense of how to play the quick game, like when to trigger, um, which throws to make, like mm -hmm. how to consistently make those throws accurately. And I think that was something he was kind of just okay at in 2017. And so I think the part of the offense moving that way was in part because Wentz just straight up got better there. So it was kind of something that they could open up more. And also they didn't really have a deep threat the way that they did in previous seasons. So the offense was kind of constructed of like five really good slot players and nobody who could actually stretch the field to make them work. And, you know, for as talented as, as some other guys were, like Ertz and, and Goddard, and even Aguilar can, like, do some things. Like, they just didn't have anybody to open up the middle of the field for them. So what happened was, like, they were trying to test the quick game a little bit more because they were better at it, but they didn't really have anything that was enabling it for them. You put that on top of them not having a run game uh, as consistent or as explosive as the year before, and basically they were just left with like this offense that was thrown to slot receivers all the time. It was like kind of a better version of what the Lions tried to be for a while, right? And I don't think that's what they want to be. So I'm kind of hoping that they can uh, change things up next year. Yeah, you mentioned the throws outside of the pocket for Wentz, but I think uh, a big drop off for him, and I think Pro Football Focus like kind of kind of showed this in their QB annual where the big time throws for him before 2.5 seconds hits like got cut in half so it's like right at that the three-step five-step drop at the top making a big throw downfield those were cut down for a lot of the reasons that you stated in in my opinion anyway but keeping it with philosophy and trying to boost that back up you noted in your chapter about the potential for creativity with the loaded cupboard of playmakers that the Eagles possess coming into this year how do you see that playing out in 2019 I mean, I think Deshaun Jackson in particular does so much for that offense because, I mean, like I mentioned, they have so many guys who can be a huge stud over the middle. I mean, their 12 personnel package is probably the deadliest in the league with Ertz and Goddard, um, and you can use them in like 10,000 different ways. Um, Alshon Jeffrey is like, you can kind of leave him on an island on the boundary and he can just kind of do whatever and win one-on-ones all the time. But I think yeah. it's Deshaun Jackson being able to when both from the slot and outside, I know in uh, Tampa Bay, he actually played a lot more outside, but 
being able to stretch the field the way that he does, it's, it's going to be able to take the top off the defense in a way that they just didn't have last year. And I know Wentz is a guy who likes to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, his deep ball accuracy is actually just like, okay, but he's very willing to do it. And I think that's important, especially with a guy like Deshaun Jackson. And honestly, just okay, deep accuracy is better than what he had in Jameis Winston last year. Uh, so he should be able to, you know, be a lot more productive than maybe his stat sheet has shown the past few years. Because his last couple of quarterbacks have been Jameis Winston, who's a bad deep passer, hmm. uh, and Kirk Cousins, who is just an unwilling deep passer. So he's not really been able to put up the numbers that he probably should be able to. So I think some of the creativity they can do there and finally, like, being able to open up the field is going to be huge. I'm really interested in to see what they can do in the red zone. Like, I think you could totally have packages where – you split out like Ertz and Goddard on either side of the boundary. And then you have like our Sega wide side in the middle out of the slot and maybe Jeffrey from the slot. Like they basically have four basketball players that they can put out on any time. So obviously that shouldn't be like your base red zone. I think <laughs> quickness in the red zone is actually like super underrated and, and those guys don't really have it. But um, I think that's something that they should, should look to do. Cause I mean, if you look at the Stanford versus Oregon game, like, or even like Notre Dame, like some of, some of the posts up, uh, our Sega Whiteside was putting up was like pretty disgusting. So I want to see them use him there. I, I think those are the two big things is finally being able to open up the offense and then being able to get a little bit more creative in the red zone and, and punch some more stuff in. Yeah. And you mentioned to Sean that I pounded the table for the Eagles to use him more in reduced splits when he's not in a plus split. He gets 74% of his explosive plays over the last two years, really threatened the seam with that deep speed. And then in the red zone, you can use his quickness as well. So those are good points. And something that you've already alluded to, and I really appreciated about your notes on Wentz in the uh, in the Football Outsiders Almanac was the differences that you noticed in Wentz from 2017 to 2018 that weren't negatives. Because I do feel that there were areas of maturation that we saw, even if he wasn't hitting the high notes in production as consistently as he hit them in 2017, You've already noted the quick game, but like, what else did you see from Wentz, or can you get a little bit more granular in terms of his development from year to year from what you saw? Right. So in terms of the statistical production, I mean, so much of it was was really just circumstance. Like in general, I think he was a better player in 2018. I know that kind of sounds insane, but I think he just showed that he was such a more complete quarterback. I think for one, his mechanics looked a lot cleaner. I think he did a much better job of making sure he had his feet stable and in a good position to throw making sure he could move his feet more. Because, you know, I think certain quarterbacks kind of get into a a mode where they just kind of get their feet stuck in the sand. And I think that was a problem that Wentz had, especially as a rookie. A little bit in 2017, he was kind of able to fix it. And then in 2018, I thought that was almost never a problem that really showed up for him. And I think that went a long way in making him just a more accurate passer overall. Um, Like you mentioned, I think he was just better in the quick game. I think he was more decisive because of some of the footwork stuff that I mentioned. I think he was more accurate. That went a long way to kind of making his game more complete than I think it was in 2017. And another thing is I think he did a better job at avoiding huge mistakes and not not thinking that every play has to be like a superhero play. Now, I think he still has that to some extent. Like I think those guys, you know, you're never going to turn – Jameis Winston into Kirk Cousins or you're never going to turn Cam Newton into Dak Prescott or anything like that like that's just not going to happen but Josh Allen is going to be Tyrod Taylor yeah exactly (laughs) right right so it's kind of about finding the balance and I think Wentz did a a very good job of kind of coming closer to that balance than he was in 2017 because in 2017 probably got away with some more stuff than than he should have was it versus the Chiefs that he threw that sideline pass that like should have been intercepted and then it went right into Earth's hands and he like took oh. it to the house? Like stuff like that. <laughs> like that's, I mean, that shouldn't be able to happen. And I think in 2018, he did a better job of not even really allowing those situations to come up. 
Yeah, definitely limiting those turnover-worthy throws, as it were. Anything else on the offense? What's your outlook for this Eagles offense? What do you think the potential is? Because the expectations here in Philadelphia for this offense are pretty big. I think people are expecting this to be a top-five offense with all the weapons and a healthy Wentz without the brace and all that stuff back and just seems to be in a better uh, mental state. But you, looking looking from the outside, looking in, not as you know, ingrained in the in the bias of the city. I guess I'll say it that way. I don't even know if that makes sense, but I think people get what I'm saying. How do you see this offense entering 2019 overall? I think it should be uh, really good. I think probably the biggest concern is like how healthy can a lot of their older linemen stay? Yeah. So I think if that works out fine, I think it should be a really good offense. Um, I think to expect to expect like 2017 Carson Wentz in terms of like his some of his statistical output is probably unrealistic because a lot of like his high touchdown rate and stuff was had to do with the defense forcing a lot of turnovers and like a lot of just like kind of random explosive plays that maybe the defense can do that again and maybe he can get lucky with explosive plays again but that shouldn't be something you're banking on I think they should probably just look to be a more consistent offense and sprinkle in some of those more explosive plays that they're going to get from Jackson I think overall it should be a really good unit kind of following the footsteps of their quarterback like they weren't a complete offense last year they really only were good at one thing but now I think that they're better at their quick game with Wentz developing. Now they finally have a deep game that should be able to open up with Jackson. And now they have a lot more talent at running back, you know, because last year they struggled with injuries and their depth was just like straight up terrible. Um, And so to have like a double-edged sword of Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders, I think should, you know, running backs aren't going to really turn the tide of the offense, but I think it's something that's absolutely going to help. Okay, so that's your take on the offense. When we come back here from break here on BGN Radio, we are going to be talking about the defensive side of the ball and then... I'm going to have you pick uh, an over-under for how successful the Eagles are going to be entering the playoffs in 2019, because they're definitely playoff teams. I think we all agree on that. Anyway, we will be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And we are back here on BGN Radio. Michael Kiss talking with Derek Klassen about the Football Outsiders Almanac of 2019, the Eagles chapter. We've already talked about offense. Let's switch sides to the defense. Derek, one part of the chapter that stood out to me is when you said, quote, assuming the Eagles do not suffer catastrophic injury luck again, they are poised to be a top 10 defense, unquote. Now that top 10 part, that hit me like a bold statement at first. And really it shouldn't have because the Eagles defense was fifth in defensive DVOA back in 2017. So along with that 
What about this defense makes you think that they can replicate the success they had back in 2017 during that Super Bowl run? I mean, like you mentioned, I think uh, hopefully getting some injury luck back is going to be huge. Like they were decimated for large parts of last year. They lost a lot of guys that were really important to that defense. And especially, you know, they already had like a shaky secondary and they lost a number of the guys that were important to making that secondary even okay. Um, So I think that was an issue. So I think if they can get some more stability with regarding to injuries that'll go a long way but their interior defensive line is insane like Fletcher Cox and Malik Jackson is going to be such a disruptive explosive front and then you have Timmy Jernigan who's also fantastic and then their edge situation is like I think it's okay I think it's fine but it's it's not flashing the way like you know you guys don't have a Von Miller or anything and I think that's fine though because you guys have like three or four guys that should be able to produce fairly well. And at least if they're coming off the bench, you know, be a decent presence off the edge. I think the big one to look for is Josh Sweat. I liked him a lot coming out of college. Um, he's like tiny clowny. And so I think if he can like finally come forward this year and, and make an impact, even if he just ends up being like a pretty good third rusher, I think that could be absolutely huge. And then obviously you want to kind of see a little bit more from Derek Barnett. Moving to the linebackers, I think their linebackers are really good now. Uh, Nigel Bradham, I think, was a little shakier last year, but I think he's still a very good player. And getting Zach Brown for like, what was it, $2 million or something like that? Maybe $3 million? Super cheap, yeah. It was like 2 to 3 it, it was insane. Like, they got him for like, basically free. Um, and Zach Brown is, is one of the best linebackers in the league, to be honest. I understand he has injury issues, but... If he can stay healthy, he's one of the best run defenders in the league and a plenty good coverage guy to boot. You know, he's not elite, but you don't necessarily need him to be. I think just to just to add, it's exactly two point five million. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's stealing, dude. Like he's legitimately (laughs) one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Um, And he just didn't get his due last year because he he was stuck in Washington. Watching him next to Mason Foster definitely makes him look better. You know what Dude, I mean? Foster is terrible. I mean, so okay, bad. so for anybody who already follows me, you've seen this, but I, I was doing like a study of Frank Reich's offense in uh, in Indianapolis, and I think it's like week two the Colts played Washington, mm-hmm. and there there's a series of like five plays in a row where they just straight up target Mason Foster. It's like power, power, counter, play action off of his side. It's like disgusting. And they like they ended up with a touchdown on that drive. So that's so funny. The Texans did that in the first drive when they played them. And I put that I put that those clips up on Twitter. That's all over Redskins Twitter when they cut them, which is which is funny because the Texans were like, this guy is bad in coverage. We can put anybody out there on a route against them. And we're going to be making money all day. And we're going to run right at him too. And they did too. And they just drove right down the field. So we saw the same teams that go after him. And then anytime like Indy tried to run power to Brown or if like they had switched sides or something uh, mm. before the play I mean Zach Brown was just like shutting it down at like two yards like the, the difference yeah maybe it is the difference pulling a little bit away here but <laughs> I, I, yeah I still think Zach Brown is uh, pretty damn good so what were we talking about the Eagles linebackers uh just the overall outlook is that where we were at I totally forget we were in the weeds here <laughs> I believe so um and even I guess one last thing for the linebackers like LJ Fort is like he's good if something goes wrong he's <laughs> like a pretty good guy to uh to fill in the blanks there if uh either guy gets hurt I guess the real concern for Philly on defense is like the secondary because they have Ronald Darby, who is fantastic. Like he's true shutdown corner one-on-one can play on an Island versus anybody. And they're getting Rodney McLeod back who should go a long way for like showing up explosive plays and better making this Philly defense feel like they can actually funnel their routes somewhere instead of like 
kind of the ambiguous situation that they had last year. That's a great way to put it, yeah. Because, like, I mean, that's so huge to understand that you have help and be able to play off that. Mm. And I think with some of the inexperience and, like, honestly just mediocre talent that they have at cornerback, I think it should be huge to actually have them, like, have the confidence to be like, okay, like, it's okay if I get beat inside a little bit because I know I have this guy. So I think that should go a long way. Even having Andrew Sandejo, um, I don't know exactly how much they're going to use him, but whether he's coming off the bench or they're using him in like three rotation or three safety rotation stuff, I think he could do a lot for them. So better than Corey Graham. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I, I was a Ravens fan at the time that he was there. And that was, that was not good times. <laughs> what, we, let's keep, let's keep talking about the secondary here. We, we could talk about the secondary to death really with what happened, but as an oh, outsider, okay. how, how jarring was it to see the difference between Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby when you broke down their film? Dude, Jalen Mills is, like, terrible. I, yeah. I understand in 2017 he had, like... Stretches. And Yeah, he had stretches, and he was, like, okay because... I mean, in large part because the defense overall was just better, so he wasn't as, uh, I guess, as stressed as maybe he was last year with, yeah. with all that went wrong. But, like, Mills is just, like, I don't trust him to play in man coverage. Like, he's just going to get whooped by everybody. I think the way that he handles route breaks is, like, honestly terrible like he just gets his feet tied up all the time and like ends up falling back at the end of breaks far too often I don't think he's really a guy who like can win contested one-on-one situations if he's up against like DeAndre Hopkins or something like that like I just don't think there's a lot he does particularly well which is why I think I stressed in the chapter like they really need either whether it's Russell Douglas or maybe Avante Maddox moves more outside or I mean, Sidney Jones finally does something like they need somebody opposite Darby to be at least competent. And maybe Mills bounces back. Maybe it's him. I don't know. But from what I saw last year, I, I don't have very much faith that it's going to be him. Yeah, I'm not holding my breath on that. I'm hoping it's Russell Douglas and he has a breakout year for them. I mean, they got so many young players in that secondary. You're hoping one or two like Sidney Jones is, is kind of my guy to highlight yeah. coming into this year. You hope one or two really take a step forward. Let's talk a little bit philosophy from what you saw. Jim Schwartz is a very polarizing figure in Philadelphia. And even us here at BGN have a bit of a love-hate relationship with him. I think there's a lot more respect for him outside of the city and around the league than there is here. Uh, that said, I still have my issues with some of his coverage deployments when it comes to playing so much off coverage on average, which is something that I charted, compared against similar middle-of-the-field closed teams to verify the narrative. But one thing I don't think he gets enough credit for is his adaptability. Sometimes he swings and misses. Like all the inverted cover three he played against the Titans in response to the McLeod injury. But there are other times, like the Rams game that I've talked about, where he's able to get out of his comfort zone and switch it up. This is something that you noticed about the defensive line and the way he uses them. They were also dealing with injury. Do you want to go into what you saw there, Derek? Because I think the word you used there was malleable. Is that correct? Yeah, it was just like, I mean, they did have the luxury of like, four guys who could basically play not any position on the defensive line, but really outside of like playing one tech, you could just throw them in any gap and it was whatever. Like Michael Bennett, I mean, that's what that's what Bennett has always been known for, especially like dating back to Seattle. Like you can basically play him anywhere from like two eye out to a nine almost, and he's going to be effective. And, you know, Schwartz, uh, he took advantage of that. I think Derek Barnett can slide inside a little bit. You know, he's not the same way as Bennett, but you can kind of move him a little bit outside of inside the tackles. And I think they did a good job of that. Fletcher Cox has always been a guy that, you know, they could just kind of put out at like five every now and then. And all of a sudden he's an edge rusher and like, <laughs> that's terrifying. a very good one, like a pro bowl edge rusher. And it's, it's like, 
unfair. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think they did a lot of cool stuff that way, um, especially when they needed to, and especially on pass downs, like always making sure they had, I think, the four best pass rushers out there, mm. uh, which I think was especially tough because they didn't really have that many good defensive ends. And so I think it was kind of doing what they could to get like a lot of their defensive tackle talent out there and moving them around if they had to, um, and really just getting the four best guys out there. And I think um, they did a very good job of that. Uh, last year yeah and, I, and one, one of the things that I like that he would do is you know he gets Fletch as a one tech and you know the center slide is going to come that way or even as a three tech you know the center slide is going to go that way because he likes to kind of vacate that a gap sim pressure with the linebacker but what it ultimately does is give Michael Bennett who you've now kicked into like a, a, a three tech or a four eye it gives him a one-on-one with the guard like they know where that center is going every time and they want to put their best you know interior pass rusher on the guard that's going to get the one-on-one and they can kind of dictate matchups that way so Schwartz is kind of fun when you when you really look into it. he's not a big blitzer but he does do some things to aid his defensive linemen and get them singled up so they can get there like let's go to kind of an overall view here because I really enjoyed the end of the chapter here here's what you wrote quote they understood the defense's issues was not the talent, but health, and instead chose to dump most of their resources into an offense searching for the final component to get them back on track. As they return key contributors on defense and add new ones on offense, they're positioned to look more like the team that brought home the organization's first Lombardi trophy than the one that narrowly skidded into the playoffs last year, unquote. Now, in one of the opening chapters, just looking at the league as a whole, Football Outsiders projections has the Eagles with a 55% chance to make the playoffs, which ranks seventh in the NFL, third in the NFC. So that's where I'm going to set the over-under for you, right at the three seed in the NFC. What's your take, Derek, over or under? <sighs> it's a tricky question. Uh, and, of course, I'm going to have a cop-out. I think <laughs> like, I think the, <laughs> the peak of this team is like absolutely – like if they got one or two seed, I, I wouldn't be too surprised. But I think with as competitive as the NFC is overall – with some of the uncertainty, like you just don't know how some injuries are going to shake out. And then between like, I think the NFC East is like, it's not good, but I think Washington should be better. Um, I think Dallas is like a legitimately good team mm-hmm. um, that should be contending for like the top spot in the division. So even though the Eagles have like a fairly easy schedule, I think they have the 30th schedule per hour projections. It's, it's a lot easier compared to last year. Yeah, right. So I think like they there's an absolutely like a pathway for them to rebound and get to a one and two seed. But I think with Dallas kind of contending with them and uh, the NFC overall just being like a really brutal picture to kind of deal with, I think it's more likely that they end up not getting a bye, which is fine because I think they're plenty good to end up with a fourth seed and end up taking it all the way anyway. But I think just getting a buy is super tough, and it's especially tough in the NFC. Let's put some. Uh, let's put something on this. Oh no! Yeah, let let's put a <laughs> double Red Bull and vodka at Vitz on it. I'm gonna go under the three seed. You're going over. You sticking with that? You good with that bet? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Okay. I think I'll everybody would. <laughs> exactly. There's really no losers here. <laughs> so we've talked about the Eagles. You said you also wrote up the chapters for the Bears, Lions, Packers, Vikings, the whole NFC North there. So with those four, I'll just ask you, who takes the division in 2019 and why? So in terms of our projections, I believe we have it Packers, Lions, Vikings, Bears? The Vikings and Bears are like insanely close and that might be flipped. You gonna tow the company line there, company man? Yeah, (laughs) it's like a projected like 7.8 wins versus 7.9. So like, who cares, honestly? Yeah, I I think the projection for the Packers is actually correct. Getting rid of McCarthy is like not so much what he was 
doing on offense in terms of crafting the offense. It's just like that organization so clearly needed like it was a jolt. Like, yeah. yeah, it just needed like a breath of fresh air. And I think, I mean, I think the same thing happened with Andy Reid here in Philadelphia when when he right when they finally moved on. Maybe McCarthy can still find success elsewhere, but like sometimes, and like McCarthy honestly was better in 2018 than he probably got credit for i mean he'd earned a reputation that he didn't really deserve to get credit at that point but <laughs> it's like he was him. fine so you're saying who takes i the think division? he's gonna be the packers uh, especially because like th- the potential for their defense i think is honestly insane if you just look at the roster like they basically have one linebacker in blake martinez um and then they have this front that they could do like a trillion things with kind of like the eagles yeah i mean they just cut mike daniels but i don't think that actually changes their plans because i they were going to phase him out anyway. Like, I think they absolutely should have still kept him as, like, a pass-down sub-rusher. But, honestly, getting rid of him doesn't actually change what they're trying to do on defense. And then, I think their secondary has a ton of potential. Like, especially Jair Alexander. I think he could very quickly turn into one of the best corners in the league. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, he's just, like, I think it was that Rams game. Like, if if you watch the Rams game, that dude is very clearly like going to be a stud corner. So I posted clips from that game. He had five pass breakups that game. Five. Yeah, dude. Against like Robert Woods. Like that's yeah. dude, good. like that's that's a really good offense with really good receivers and, yeah. and, and he was fantastic. So I like a lot of a lot of what they did on defense. Uh, it's still not going to be great because, like, they were terrible last year, so they obviously have a lot of room to go. And then I think the offense should be, you know, good enough. I think, you know, when you have Aaron Rodgers, you pretty much always have a chance. And I think they can jolt a little bit of life into him. He's going to be back to being, like, a pretty easy top five quarterback again. Now, does that prediction also involve the quarterback situation for the Bears? Because can you uh, – and here's my question. <laughs> can you ever see the Bears making a real playoff run with slumpy Mitch Trubisky at the helm. So this question is always like, could it happen? Technically, yes, because we've seen worse quarterbacks do it before. Yeah. Like we've. Is it logical though? Is it not an outlier? You know what I mean? Like of course exactly. Outliers, like yeah. like would you? It's the, the question is really should be like, would you feel good about this happening? And I think with Mitch, it's like a pretty easy no. Yeah. I think to have deep playoff runs like that, like you know, quarterback wins is kind of bullshit. But in the playoffs in particular, like you have to have a guy who can carry the offense if he has to and a guy who's not going to make like dramatic mistakes. And maybe you only need that for stretches on a guy who's like already good. But I don't think Mitch is that like he's terribly inconsistent. Um, His game is like super reliable on stuff that's just not going to turn out year over year like he had the highest dvoa percentage under pressure this year which is all fine and well in in like the scope of just last season but that's an incredibly unstable stat right so you can't really bank on him to do that again last year and then when he was his dvoa inside the pocket was like below average which kind of doesn't make sense for an offense that did such a good job of getting guys open and playing the quick game and all that stuff. So I mean, they ran. I think it was the third highest amount of RPOs or something like that. So quick zero to one step drops yeah. should be very easy for him. Right, and his uh, time to throw like dropped dramatically. Like I don't know, man. I, I think his mechanics still suck. I yep. think his understanding of how to trigger on anything that's not an RPO or quick game is like questionable. Like his play, I'm pretty sure he had the worst, like the bears offense had the worst play action uh, success or DVOA in the league, which should be impossible with some of the guys that they had. And like Mitch has a plenty fine arm and like they have, like it doesn't make sense, man. I I just don't think he's, that good he's so inconsistent okay so you shared my opinion with uh with mr trubisky i want to give you that opportunity there to 
to talk about him a little bit because we love him here at BGN. Anyway, <laughs> Derek, I really appreciate you stopping by, man. Would you remind the gentle listeners one more time where they can find you on social media, where they can find all of your great work? Yeah, first off, thanks again for having me on. Sure, man. You guys can find me at Twitter at QBClass, Q-B-K-L-A-S-S. Um, and then pick up the Football Outsiders Almanac. You know, I wrote five chapters, and then during the season, I'll be doing their film room stuff again. So Excellent. Thank you for stopping by, Derek. Thanks, man. BGN. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 